Hi, welcome to the Whole Therapist Podcast. We're leaving out the theorizing and exploring this strange phenomenon of being a human and a therapist. I'm Kelly, licensed marriage and family therapist, working in private practice settings as a clinician and a clinical supervisor in the Denver metro area. And I'm Abby. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and the owner of a group practice in the Denver metro area. Kelly and I are both registered play therapists, supervisors, and EMDR certified. So we're both therapists, but this is not therapy. And we're both supervisors, but this is not supervision. This podcast is purely for fun. So for any ethical concerns on your caseload, please refer to your state laws and licensing boards. And please remember to follow The Whole Therapist on Instagram, Facebook, and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening station. For more resources, blogs, and consultation opportunities, visit wholetherapistinstitute.com. So come join our conversation while we explore the embodied experience of neuroscience and authenticity in the therapy room. Hi, welcome to The Whole Therapist Podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Abby. Welcome to our summer book series, chapter two. Chapter two. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, the development of a therapist, healing others, healing self. We definitely, as we're moving through the book, have decided that at some point we'll probably um, chunk together some of the chapters because we're also already thinking of new podcast topics, but don't want to like veer off on this uh, summer book series. It feels like such a nice container and holding for the essence of our podcast, too, to go through this. Mm -hmm. And this chapter is called The Therapist Imagination. It's very whimsy to me. It is. But in fact, there's even parts in this chapter that talk about the need to have a theory. Right. And so it's like whimsy, but also asking for folks to have structure. Yeah, right. I really appreciated that part in the beginning. If you're reading along with us, he talks about um, the need for a theory and the need to hold multiple, what does he say? Multiple truths. Simultaneous truths. Simultaneous truths at the same time. And he's talking about that you can do that when you're really grounded in a theory. Abby and I were talking about, you know, what our theory is and, and in my perspective and and a lot of chapter two, we have touched on points throughout um, the last three seasons. So some of this you may have heard before, but we're going to keep expanding on it. That I and Abby, I think I can speak for you, have gotten trained or certified in lots of different things. But we both always come back to the base, which is IPMB. Yeah. I mean, this is, if I get lost somewhere, I come back to what I know about human behavior and people and why people are the way they are, because this is the framework, right? IPMB is not a theory. It's a framework. It's a framework that I come back to. It's at the base of everything. Well, and I think relational neuroscience can be a framework that then you pick your theory from. So there's a few that we mm-hmm. might identify with, but this framework feels, I mean, I know Cozzolino's talking about having your theory, but I think for us, we related more like, well, in our framework is like our home. Mm-hmm. We come back to IPMB and then we can from there make choices about what's next. Yeah. Um, I think in my life that feels true too. Mm-hmm. Like IPMB feels more of like a living, living it, not just practicing it. Yeah. In the, yeah. In the therapy space, but And I think it's in this chapter that he also talks about how when we first start out, we um, are kind of floundering about and it's difficult to just be with because you're really trying to figure out like, 
what's the next thing? Right. And what's the next thing? And it, it just time, like over time, you find yourself settling in a little bit more, allowing maybe the, the silence to go a little bit more. And I don't remember the example he gave, but in my mind, it was about tying your shoe. Maybe mm. he gave like riding a bike or um, a stick, sh- driving a stick shift car. But, you know, there was a lot of thought going into like first this bow and then this bunny ear and then you cross the bunny ears and you're kind of telling yourself along the way. If you remember when you tied your shoes, I don't, but I working with kids, like yeah. watch this process. <laughs> yes. Uh, and there's a lot of thought and focus that goes into it and some frustration that shows up. Once the kid learns how to tie their shoes and they've got this muscle memory, I don't, I've never seen frustration show up again. It's just like, this is how we do it. I'm, I'm, it's all kind of like back of the brain knowledge. Yeah. Well, and it makes me think of how Bonnie Badnock um, and Ian McGilchrist talk about the left brain being more of like a toolbox or like protocols and strategies are so important. Like a theory mm-hmm. is so important. Mm-hmm. Like we can't villainize the left brain. Mm-hmm. Um, we really need it. But when you've practiced and learned these skills, it does become more of that muscle memory. Like we can easily draw from them mm-hmm. um, with ease, um, but not rely on them, as, you know, strictly or solely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that piece where you end up being really solid in a framework or a theory, mm-hmm. is that where you can then, what he talks about in chapter two is a shuttling? Yeah. Do you think once you're grounded in that, you can do the shuttling easier or that's actually where the shuttling begins? I wish that shuttling could just begin, <laughs> right? Like yeah. that would be the the hope and learning under Bonnie that feels really true. Like that's where the therapy is. Um but it just seems to be true from humans that that's, I mean, it has to start like what Cozzolino talking about, like theory mm-hmm. um, has to happen first and left brain knowledge happens first. And that frees us to then shuttle mm-hmm. um, when we have enough experiences where a clinician or a human has shuttled with us, then that lives inside of us and we can do it with the next client or the next friend. I wonder if we want to define what shuttling is. We're kind of just talking about it. Yeah. Cozzolino says that shuttling is open exploration, a journey of free floating attention through the many dimensions of self and other within a therapeutic relationship. Um, he talks about it. It sounds very um, like sing songy to me when I read it, he talks about how it's an oscillation between reflection and experience, feeling and thinking physical and mental spaces. And who was it? Someone described it as a romantic science. It was in here. He did talk about it. But that. he gave credit to someone. Yeah. Luria. Whoever Luria is, thank you for the phrase. That was just so lovely to read a romantic science because as I was reading it, I could feel my body wanting to go back and forth in this bilateral. And it makes me think of integration and the hemispheres. And we think of shuttling as like kind of this vertical thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is that the, the movement feels very fluid and I appreciated how he then goes on to say that the the shuttling process involves the default mode network. And so it's a system that processes information in, about the self and other. And so it's going to be really normal and necessary to confuse the two. This is where we get like transference and countertransference and projection. And that's part of the therapeutic relationship, being able to have some humility. Like, I don't know if this is about me mm-hmm. or you. And naming that, yeah, 
Um, I love that there was data around how normal that is, that it's just from the same default mode network that this comes from. Yeah. And he also talked about the self-awareness is like a new yes. kind of phenomenon for us humans. Right. Yeah. It's so this piece around, like, I don't know if it's me or you, like that's so hard because we haven't been wired for billions of years around self-awareness. Right. Right. Yeah. So like we can all, there's just room for some compassion. As you say that I feel my shoulders relax. Like, yeah, it's not been billions of years. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> let's just name it. And, um, yeah, it came up recently in a session for me. I was meeting with, um, a client and they were sharing some information where I felt very connected. And because I am reading this, I was like, Oh, I'm really aligning with what they're saying. I like felt myself being much more aware. Yeah. And I thought, Oh, am I, am I too into the story? And Mm. then I thought, I think I'm leading this conversation in a way based on like my own experience. I may not actually be allowing the client to lead it. And so I had named that out loud and said, you know, I I just want to name that I am saying this because I'm really closely relating to what you're saying. Yeah. And I really didn't know where to go from there after that, but just saying it out loud allowed me to then sit back. Yes. I was like, okay, great. I don't have to be in the driver's seat anymore. Right. And then I'm imagining that the the conversation continued to unfold. So that yeah. was, yeah, it makes me think of this like soft place to land. Yes. So it's getting confusing. We're in the default mode network. Like what's mine, what's theirs, what's happening. And mm-hmm. you have this co-consciousness around that, mm-hmm. which is indicative of all the work you've done mm-hmm. in consultation when we have that. And then naming it becomes a soft place to land. Mm-hmm. And then the client can continue from there. Yeah, It's all about slowing down again, I guess. Yeah. Once again. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's this overused line. It, it is true. It is true. But I think people roll their eyes and it's trust the process. No. And that's slowing down, right? Trusting the process yeah. is slowing down, right? But even you here, you're like, good Lord. Come on. How yeah. Long do we have? But yeah, it's true. And it's just been so overused. And sometimes mm. maybe, um, to a detriment. Yeah. What's the image along with that? I think that would help me. Cause as you say that, and I kind of roll my eyes, like trust the damn process, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it is true. And I'm thinking about like an unfolding mm-hmm. that feels better. That felt sense behind those words because it's so overused. Mm-hmm. So trusting the process or like un- unfolding, I keep, you know, I just got back from this week. Um, Wrapping up Bonnie Badnock's um, IPMB immersion, year-long immersion. And I went camping for most of it. And a dear friend that was there and I continued to bring the phrase dynamically awake Mm. back to us. And it will actually make me emotional. There's something around this being dynamically awake that feels so related to shuttling. Mm. So in order to shuttle and to parse out like, what am I feeling? What's my client feeling? Now I know what to say or do or not say or do next. Um, feels dynamic. So this unfolding, it's like a, a living, breathing awakeness. Yeah. Um, that's very different than, I'm just thinking about like practicum. 
Yes. Like use 10 reflection sentences or yeah, it's not, it's just so different to be dynamically awake with your client Mm -hmm. and trusting that whatever's going to come up next is meant to be there. Yeah. I don't know if Kozalino knows this, but it sounds like he should have named this chapter becoming dynamically awake. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Therapist imagination. Yeah. Yeah. When you had said, you know, what's mine, what's theirs, at the group practice that I supervise at, we just hired this woman, Dr. Melody Brown. Mm-hmm. She was a professor over at uh, Denver University. Mm-hmm. And she talked about, I just l- loved the phrasing that she used. She said that, you know, she uses herself to find out what's happening for the clients. Yes. And she said, I, she gave this example of being in a, a session with a couple and all of a sudden she noticed some anxiety in the room. And she said, oh, I just want to stop for just a moment there's some anxiety that just showed up. And I don't know if it's mine or one of yours. I'm just wondering like, whose is it? And just the way that she put it was, it's like gentle, inviting. That's amazing. I like, that's bold though. To really, (laughs) yes. My eyes are widening. Like (laughs) that's fucking amazing that she could trust that deeply. Yes. And then name I, with the humility piece of, it could be mine. Mm-hmm. It could be yours. Yeah. Do you feel that too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it added on to me. I had gone to this conference. Professor Vanderkolt um, talked about the same concept mm-hmm. that whatever is happening for us, we just can trust with the science that it's happening for the client as well. Yeah. And he would say like, Hey, how's your stomach feeling right now? And the client says, Oh, it's fine. Well, I'm just going to hold it for you until you're ready. Wow. And I have used that yeah. with clients. I have found that as I encourage some of my interns to do that, they're like, that's bold. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess it, it does, if you're not used to doing that, it does feel a bit bold. And I did have an intern recently who was bold enough to try it. And thankfully they shared and they go, it landed so good. Oh, good. What a good feeling. But I felt like Dr. Melody Brown just took it a step further Yeah, instead of this piece of like, I'm just going to hold it for you. It was just this invitation of curiosity and like, let's just, it almost reminded me of narrative therapy. Like we can externalize it and imagine it's like another being in the room with us. Right. Yeah. And then, and then as we externalize it, it invites the client to be more curious Mm -hmm. with us. I think of this because I just got back from this immersion, this idea of like a bowl of receptivity Mm. and as shuttling to me, I have this image in my mind going from therapist to client, or even as you and I are talking, like there's this space between us, mm-hmm. but I like the idea of like the circle. Yeah. It's like, but it's a bowl of receptivity that we're inviting people into. And when you externalize an emotion or an energy, it's just in the bowl with us. Mm-hmm. We can look at it together. Something about soft curves feels better. Yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to think about how, do you remember when the United States used to be described as a melting pot? I do. And then they changed it to a salad bowl. <laughs> yes. And that is, but we're, uh, we're not wanting to be a melting pot with our clients. We don't want to blend our states and not know whose is whose and whose is what. But a salad bowl. I'm also just hungry. So I love, <laughs> like, we're like eating your coconut chips over here and Cheez-Its. And tea. And honestly, I feel disoriented. I just, I have to pause and say this because it's been 15 minutes of me wanting to say that we're not wearing headphones today. Oh yeah. And we had this moment of like, 
why have we been wearing headphones for two years? Well, (laughs) Abby asked me that. I actually, so a couple episodes back, Mm -hmm. we realized that in me wearing headphones, I was actually like screaming. (laughs) And Abby was like, I always wonder when I edit, like why you're so loud. And one time for one reason or another, I didn't wear the headphones. And it's because I can hear myself without the headphones. So Abby today says like, why are we wearing headphones? Well, why am I wearing headphones? (laughs) It's just me. I'm like, well, when we started the podcast, (laughs) YouTube told me to buy headphones. Isn't that silly? It's like, we don't even need them. I can hear you fine. Like, so anyway. What is the metaphor in that with what we're talking about here? There has to be something. Grad school told me. They told me. I saw a video on YouTube. This is how you do a podcast. (laughs) I'm just thinking about even therapy. Uh, Like, grad school told me mm -hmm. that I needed to not talk about my countertransference. Right. Or something like that, right? And then all of a sudden, you're three years into therapy. Here we are, three years into the podcast. Yep. Why am I not using myself? Yeah, it's so true because my ears feel so free right now. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy not wearing headphones that I'm wondering, we've been doing that for three years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there must be this like awareness that's just coming in. It's in the bowl. <laughs> yes, it's in the bowl. <sighs> One thing that struck me uh, towards the end of the chapter was this statistic that 90% of the brain is involved with processing information that's already in the brain. So that means that only 10% of our experience involves what's coming in from the outside world. So 90% of what's happening in your brain in this moment right now has to do with things that were already living inside of you. And 10% of maybe what we're talking about in this episode or what's happening as you're driving or you're in your office, only 10% that's coming in is from the outside. And that is unbelievable to me that 90% of what's happening inside of us has to do with not this moment. I know. And And the need for consultation because of this. Yes. Yeah. I've heard you say this. We've read this, we know this. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, this moment, I hear you say it out loud, I'm having this whole other thought where Bonnie talks about that we're taking in yes. 174 newspapers a day. Yep. So if I've already got 90% of shit happening inside of yes. me, and this other 10% is 174 newspapers, I just am having like a moment of compassion of like, of course, things are not okay right now. It's so chaotic. Yeah. How do you parse any of that out other than in safe, deep relationship with others? Yes. And we've been talking about this um, like off the podcast even, just how radically different the last year or so feels having so much more consultation and nourishing relationships. I think I can speak for both of us. Mm -hmm. Um, It's changed my work. Yeah. But there's been no strategy given. It's truly just consultation, mm-hmm. reflective. Mm-hmm. Yes. I have entered into some humility. I, I know yeah. that again and again, I've been like, how dare I think that somehow I didn't need consultation? Because I practiced for a year really without much consultation. Yeah. And it's either helped me feel more compassion towards myself and normalize things or show me I don't know everything about this. Yeah. 
And and how dare I think I'd made, but it, it made me aware of like, oh, I really thought that like, I just was doing this great job and I, I'm not doing a bad job. I think it's the both. And I, I wonder about the grief yeah. around like, gosh, I wish I would have known mm-hmm. like how much easier that year would have been. Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm-hmm. and we just don't know. And we've talked before about how it can be inaccessible to get consultation, depending on your financial situation, the organization or not that you practice in, Mm -hmm. um, who's available to you. Mm -hmm. And so we do want to be a resource, whether it's providing consultation or connecting you with someone who can, Yes, um, please reach out to us. I think that feels like my sneaky, not so sneaky because I'm naming it like mission of this work together Mm -hmm. of, of the whole therapist Mm -hmm. is to build community. Yeah. Like we're, we're undoing aloneness right now, even as you're listening. And maybe you feel us right here with you. Well, what I will say is I think that that is true. I, I have to say I was at a baby shower a couple of weeks ago. And oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And this girl uh, was there. Her name is Courtney. And she's the owner of the house. And it was at the end of the baby shower. And I had found out somehow or another that she was the owner of the house. Yeah. And I said, and I found out that she was a therapist. I said, oh, what kind of therapist? And then she asked me, and then she goes, do you have a podcast? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> oh and she was like, I know your voice sounded familiar. That's wild. Like, we are all in community yeah. with each other. We we are, and it feels good. And and the names that I see pop up, like I, I think of all of you frequently, and, and it helps. It really does. And I think to add, Abby, that if you're not able to get consultation, then seek out trainings that are right brain geared. Please. Right brain forward. There, you, We have all the ways in the world to do left brain stuff. I know. I know. I, I've told probably four consultees in the last few weeks um, that I want them to read some fiction and I want them to draw and go on a walk and like forego. It's not because the left brain doesn't have value, but can can you just lean into a good story mm-hmm. and create with someone else or, and yeah, take trainings around Santre and art-based and play-based and body-based. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is why the training that you will tell us more about here in a moment that you're doing <laughs> yeah. in um, September yeah. is not going to have CEs no. because you're going to be right-brained and we know that therapists have access to all sorts of left-brained <laughs> CE trainings. You can get lots of CEs in lots of places. That's true. Um, and so this time, yeah, we're not offering CEs, but I'm going to be in Austin. There's two spots left. Um, the Denver class is full on August 6th, but September 30th in Austin, Texas at Marshall Lyles's workshop. He's so graciously hosting. Um, I'm going to be teaching on epigenetics, which is honoring the cellular stories that are inside of us. And epigenetics is such a big word. and it really just means the stories in ourselves that we carry from many generations back. And I'm so much more interested in playing and feeling into the wisdom than talking about the science. So we will have to discuss some terms so that we're in agreement of like what's happening within a cell and why this matters. But we're going to be doing I'm so excited. We're going to be like playing with plant horticulture based therapy. I have some like sensory rich pieces around sound and paint and sand. And um, I'm hoping for movement. So all of that to say that I, I think the more that we can, what did he call it in Coslino's book? Like 
romantic science mm-hmm. or well, the chapter one was also similar to romantic science. Yeah, science and poetry. Yeah. I real I just think that that's like, can we talk about something that's very scientific and have this glorious felt sense of how unbelievably interwoven we are together? Um, and how to bring that to clients too. I guess that would be the left brain piece of this training is like, so how do we bring this feel into it ourselves and how do we bring this back to our sessions? But I would love to see any of you there. I'm excited. Yeah. We won't be leaving with any mindfulness today, but just as a reminder, as you're reading the book with us, if you want to send us an audio thoughts or curiosities, you know, one or two minutes, we would love to put that on the next episode. Yeah. Um, we are going to be doing chapter four would be the next time that you could probably send us something. Yes. <laughs> we'll see you all soon. Bye.